we're doing something for the first time today. We built out a little studio here at First Lutheran. When you talk to people in Zoom, it's like talk, 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 talk. We thought, can we build a situation where we have the same kind of conversations we have? We'll still do Zoom stuff, but where we have a weekly show, weekly podcast, where we can talk to one another, interrupt <clears throat> one another, uh, react to one another in real time, that sort of thing. So we said, you know what? We've all been around one another. We haven't killed each other with COVID-19 yet. So let's build out a little space. We're going to do this maybe once a month, maybe twice a yeah. month, maybe however much we can do it. But um, this is going to be kind of a regular fixture. We call it Around the Blackboard of Theology on Air, uh, which is uh, itself a fixture of Theology on Tap. So... If, uh, if it's not exactly balanced, like if I'm too far to the right or to the left on <laughs> your screen, we apologize in advance. Um, but with me, of course, is Meredith Mills, pastor Hi. at Westminster, Westminster, senior pastor, I should say, at Westminster, Methodist, fine. We at San Felipe by Dish Society. That is the title, <laughs> but we only have one pastor right now, so okay. like, I don't know. I'm, re- I'm really just... We also so only have one pastor at First Lutheran, and Sarah insists on calling me senior pastor. I'm, like, I'm not senior over anybody, so... <laughs> Except maybe my son. And of course, Sarah Stone, you all know from Outreach Coordinator for Young Adults at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church, also known as MDPC. Um, so yeah, so uh, we'll try to follow along on Facebook. We might have some comments or something where people yeah. are like, what the heck are you guys talking about? Um, Luis says he loves us. Yes. Oh. And Luis has a podcast as well. I think it's called Theology Today. I saw his fancy Facebook photo. So what's up, man? Thanks for joining us. Okay. Um so I want to dig in. I have some articles. Yeah. You guys also yeah. have some articles. In fact, Sarah found this article for us. Can I read a couple of yeah, sentences from it? This is from, well, it's from the Barna study. And if you follow Barna, you know, like every time you read one, you kind of want to kill yourself because he only ever has like the worst possible news about like the degradation of the church and the death of Christianity. <laughs> yeah. But that said, maybe they're very accurate polls. I don't know. I mean, it's 2020. It's 2020. Apparently things are going very bad this year. Apparently. So uh, this is from Protestia, protestia protestia.com. In a recent study confirming the signs of the times, that's a loaded sentence. Anyway, (laughs) the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, led by pollster George Barna, has revealed that only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. By the way, is worldview one word or two? Just putting it out there. I like it one. Okay, I like it one too. I'm going to... I'm going to write the editor. A biblical worldview was defined as, quote, believing that absolute moral truths exist, that such truth is defined by the Bible, and firm belief in six specific views. Those views were that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Satan is real. We'll come back to that later. Uh, A Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people, and the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. Yeah, so let me just So which one of you does not have a biblical worldview? Yeah, for real. I think, so when I read this at first, I thought, 2%, there's no way it's that low. Um, But then when I read the criteria for what they're calling a biblical worldview, I thought, I think everyone could get on board with five out of seven of these. Jesus Christ lives a sinless life. Well, Eh. but actually, you saw the the, the survey from the... uh, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the other R.C. Sproul, the Ligonier, where it said like half of evangelicals don't think that Jesus was perfect or something. Well, it was half I'm of everybody just... and 33% of evangelicals. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know the old thing, 75% of statistics are made up on the spot. They said that Jesus wasn't God. Okay. Yeah. So let's assume for a moment that people think he was God and that he was sinless. Maybe that's a false assumption. Yeah. But to me, the biggest problems with this is, and especially because millennials... Um, love to be contrarian sometimes, not all of them, but um, two things that jumped out to me. One, Satan is real. Okay, well, like, I can imagine millennial... Define Satan. Yeah, who is Satan? I think if they had said evil is real, they would have had a lot more people saying yes. And then the last thing where it says the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings, yikes, like, I'm super conservative, and even I'm like, I mean, accurate... I would have said authoritative or something like that because accurate makes it sound like the stuff mm. that's metaphor is really supposed to be. You have to hold a six day creationism. Well, and the or... smallest seed is really a mustard seed. Oh, right, right, right. And... Yeah. 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 So yeah, you, the other thing is people are still under the impression that the millennials are the young people. Like, I know. You know millennials are like middle-aged now. Uh-huh. They're not middle-aged. They're like running our oil and gas companies, okay? <laughs> but that's true. They're performing yeah. surgery on you when you get yes. in an auto accident, yes. okay? The millennials are in their late 20s and 30s. Yes. And um, so this entire idea of like, Ooh, the teenagers are just out. <laughs> no, that's again. Gen Z. Um, I agree, though. I think so. Part of my difficulty with getting into conversations about um, uh, about Christianity and are you a true Christian and all this other stuff is that people seem to not acknowledge when they draw the box 
really, really narrow. Yeah. Right? When they draw the Christianity box really narrow, especially looking at historically um, the creeds and what, what Christians have affirmed. And um, and there are a lot of people today who get into this, there are no two Christians, because the box is like right yeah. here. And I completely acknowledge that there are people who are like, the box. Here and there is mm-hmm. no box. Um, there is no, there is but, no box. Yeah. What is this um, box you speak of? But but it's something like like this. Just I'm I'm getting PTSD from a lot of different conversations with this article because I want yeah. it, I'm like you. I just want to debate the premise of it. Mm-hmm. Well, like the independent fundamentalist Baptist right IFBC right. or whatever. So like for them, like you can have every every one of these beliefs, but if you don't hold to, I don't even know the eschatological 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 views yeah like they're primo they're they're like mid-rapture predispositionalist or something like that it's some crazy stuff so yeah so and they're like if you don't hold that view then you don't have the gospel at all so well and the other thing is i think if i had received this survey i would know what they were going for and i would have said yes because i would have known what they're trying to get at is am i do i believe the bible right even though it doesn't say that but i think that's the problem is it needs to say it better. So that's anyway. funny is that I would have said no out of principle, even though I probably believe most of this. Yeah. I would have been like, I know what you're going for. And I don't want to you guys, you. Meredith just admitted on live radio. She's not a Christian. Not a, yeah. Yikes. I'm According joking. To the survey. Back to that Satan is real thing though. Like, yeah. so, okay. So like, you, you know that people will be like, well, in the Hebrew, it's ha Satan. And that just means adversary. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it never says say like the snake in Genesis three was yeah. Satan. It's just the yeah. wiliest of all the creatures and blah, blah, blah. So, like even there are a lot of Christians who would be like, well, actually, if you kind of know a little bit about the original languages and if you really look at the text, like it doesn't talk about – I mean, I mean, where does it really talk about the devil? I mean, there's the devil. There's the temptation with Jesus. Right. Okay. But other than that – I mean, I'm not saying that Satan is not real. I think Satan is real. Okay. Um but but yeah yeah in case you were wondering but anyway but <laughs> here it's with just, two heretics that's I'm kind of that's a legitimate so I I have some Jewish friends who talk about they're like Satan's y'all's thing like Satan was never a part of mm. yeah interesting of our stories of our scripture depending on how you interpret Job um, mm. and and a lot of our idea of spiritual warfare and that that comes from um, the epistles mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it comes from it comes from the later in the new testament and so mm-hmm. it does it does seem to me um, that if interpretation of of satan has changed that drastically between judaism and christianity that there's something there's something going on yeah and the whole third of all the stars business is in revelation right mm-hmm. so yeah they, stars, they're missing ha- a lot stars, of the information well stars definitely yeah. comes up in revelation yeah falling star anyway anyway yeah but yeah revelation let's not <laughs> let's talk about revelation next yeah. revelation is a whole nother uh question about symbolism and whatnot but yeah, yeah. But like I, what does it really matter like if there's one head of like all the all the fallen spirits or whatever it just doesn't i mean we demons are real and i, I think well that, that's why i said you know, evil oppression like, and, yeah exactly no yeah and right. the thing is even atheists would say evil exists i think a lot of atheists i know would say maybe not all of them yeah um, so let me look around you. Let me read the next paragraph though, because it's interesting. I mean, we, maybe we just blew this whole study to shreds, but in case we didn't, <laughs> right? Um, on the back it says, Millennial, "Millennials are less tolerant and respectful of others than previous generations. Millennials generally are seen as tolerant, quote unquote. Yet the 2020 findings show that millennials, by their own admission, as far as less tolerant than other generations, are, are I'm sorry." are far less tolerant than other generations. In addition, they're more likely to want to exact revenge when wrong or less likely, likely to keep a promise and overall have less respect for others and for human life in general. So, I mean, I will say this. Like, I think, like like I said, every time I read a Barna study, because he's very conservative, and he, he seems to be on the mission to basically show that, like, everything is going to hell in a handbasket and the church is dying and da-da-da-da. But I think that if the numbers, like, are this low, it probably does point to, like, like there is truth at the higher level, too. Like, and so... Maybe we could talk about, like, are we discipling millennials? Or are we just doing the youth group thing where, like, we try to entertain them? And, yeah. you know, maybe I'll go on a screen now against contemporary Christian music, for example. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know. We've all sink- been waiting. Sinker sensitivity, you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff, you know. I mean, I, I do think that there is a cost to that in the long run, which is, yeah, look, we just want you to, like, get in the door, like, have a good time, and that's good enough for us. That's how a lot of churches operate because we're – struggling to survive i think but i do think with your talking about making the box too narrow i think there is something to be said i don't even need to get into the seeker stuff because it doesn't have to be one or the other you can Mm -hmm. make the box a little bit bigger for sort of belonging 
And then as someone belongs and understands more, you can sort of start to close things in with understanding what specifics you're talking about, like defining mm-hmm. your terms and saying, here's where in the Bible we find this passage. I don't think you have to start by saying, do you believe Satan's real? Great. Come on in. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, and <laughs> you don't I, think that's an effective evangelism strategy? I I think um, I think churches that are, are doing it well have radical... Radically hospitable evangelism and um, sound doctrine, and they they their doctrine is a part of their evangelism. Um, I don't think I don't think millennials or people younger than millennials are not wanting sound thought. I think they're reacting against um, they're reacting against things that they think are wrong, you know. And so, like the. Uh, and it's going to come back to that. I'm just going to fundamentally disagree with what the cent- the centerpiece of of what you know boxes you need to t- tick as far as what beliefs make you Christian or give me with 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 this guy. Um, but I don't think I, I I do think the church has a has a difficulty of discipling. But I don't think that comes down to us not teaching necessarily the right thing. Yeah. It, we recently recorded a three-part series on the podcast which hasn't come out yet but on the essentials or christian what is it essential christianity mm-hmm. and i'm trying to remember what the four things that our two guys agreed on it was like the trinity uh jesus being divine atonement broadly speaking mm-hmm. just that it happened and that it fixed what was broken and there was like a fourth one do you remember to say basically what it was it, red carpet in the sanctuary i think that's I think, what it, yeah. great let's yeah. move on that's yeah. what it was yeah. <laughs> i can't remember but it was good. But you should listen yeah. is what we're saying Yeah. to that podcast. Those All three. right. Well, maybe the problem is that not enough men are involved in church. And so therefore the millennials aren't Look at that participating. Segue. Did you see that segue? This uh, is like on the... I kind of thought you were going to go to the Satanist one after that. Because you're talking about Satan so much. <laughs> oh, well, that's true. Well, Satan. Y'all, y'all watch Danny, Car- <laughs> yes. Danny Carvey on Satan. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So uh, kind of big picture. This is from an article in CT, Christian, Christianity Today. Came out today. Um, a few hours ago, in fact, making your church manlier won't make it bigger. And so the big picture, as he kind of lays it out, is it a he? No, Lyman Stone. That's a he, right? Sure. Okay. Anyway, um, the idea is that, <laughs> oh my gosh, we have a crisis of, of men not being in the church. And you've heard a lot of people say this, as he says, you know, Mark Driscoll yep. said this, he said, there's a crisis of men in the church. Yep. And they talk about not only the ratio of men to women, but how the church itself has gotten very feminized and et cetera, et cetera. So um, this is something you've written about, Meredith. So what do you think? Is the church too? Uh, is the yeah, church not okay. manly enough? <laughs> so before I, there was a Babylon Bee article that talked about Mark Driscoll um, preaching a sermon and punching himself in the face. Oh my gosh. As an illustration about what a manly man does. And I couldn't tell if it was like Babylon Bee or if it Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hard to tell. Happened. Especially there toward the end at, at Mars Hill. It was it got yeah. pretty pretty bad. Okay. So I wanted to talk about this article because um, when I was first in the pastorate, I was first uh, assigned to a church. And we read the book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And what frustrated me to no end about this book is that a lot of the how-to things were fine. Like, men's ministry, great. Mm -hmm. Men in leadership, great. Like, approaching men differently than women, great. Like, looking at your advertising to make sure it, it appeals to men, fine. Like, all of his suggestions, I was like, yeah. But his basic premise was, we have to do this because church the way we're currently doing it pushes away men. And I was like... Not great. Like, don't agree with mm-hmm. that premise. Um, and part of it, so the soci- the sociology is is laid out in this article really well. Like, the guy basically quotes everything. Like, he quotes Rodney Stark. He quotes all of this looking at, like, Christianity. And actually, most religions have always had a higher percentage of women involved than men. Mm-hmm. Um, this conclusion says it's because they believe... Um, Faith is formative in the home. I'm not entirely sure I agree entirely with that because if you look at the two religions that don't fit that uh, paradigm, it's um, ultra-Orthodox Judaism Mm. and conservative Islam, Mm. which are the most patriarchal things. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you have to get that level of patriarchal um, faith to dissuade women from getting involved. I mean, it almost, when you look at the statistics, it almost makes you wonder if there is a gender difference in women being more drawn to religious expression and religious mm-hmm. faith 
just in general. Um, but the biggest things from the church side is that um, my issue with the whole movement, and again, I don't disagree with most of what they were saying to do, but the issue with the whole movement was fundamentally that they didn't think Christianity was masculine enough to attract men. And my problem with that is if you throw out the fruit of the spirit because it's not attracting men, mm. yeah, like you have you have wound up with something that is different than Christianity. And it's the same mm. thing we would say about like don't soft pedal it just to get millennials. Guys, like let's not you can't you can't throw out patience and gentleness and kindness just because you don't think they're masculine mm. enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and there actually was in that in the book. I remember this now. Sorry, I'm gonna stop talking. I'm getting, I'm getting everything in the book. He gave an example. He's like, you know, when women solve a problem, they talk about it. When men solve a problem, sometimes just need to go out and fight it out in the church parking lot. And I was like, um, that was in the book. That was in the book. Oh. It was in the book. And I was That's like, funny. what? No. Like, well, is- I was gonna ask: Are there any examples of what would make a church more manly? Is it eating more barbecue and less? Fruit oh, salad? Oh, oh. Like, I don't... They have a church. It was called The First Church for Men. Oh, boy. It was written with entirely masculine lyrics. There was actually a song called Grow a Pair for Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Um, Can we say that on Facebook? I don't had, know. You already said hell. Oh. It had... Um, <clears throat> so, guns on the wall. No, stop. So, like, yes. It had guns on the wall. It had, like, di- different Well, you know, is it so different from, like, and... Cowboy Church? You've heard uh, of cowboy Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I like, think, come in your boots and your whatever. You know, I don't know. So, I, and, and the thing is, I think cowboy church is very much what these people were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not even necessarily opposed to like, let's make a niche experience to try for to a reach certain some people. kind mm-hmm. of, but it's also incredibly patronizing. And sexist, honestly. And like, sexist. it's... Assuming a lot of things about men. To say that every man, in order to get close to God, needs to have an AK-47 on the wall next to him and be covered in camo and not see the color pink anywhere. Yeah. Like, that's just... Yeah. There have been been so many, like... Like, you, I mean, on, I'm sure it's on YouTube, you know, the, the pastor's going to ride in on the Harley. Yeah. You know, and like he loses control. It goes right. terribly wrong. Always runs over right. people or the, <laughs> runs off the stage. It's like it, it's Sunday's motorcycle day. Or, and I mean, some of that's fine. But like, is it though? If you're, if, I mean, like, I what, like whatever, like I can go either way. But the thing is, like, if you're actually involved in ministry, like a one week gimmick where UFC Sunday, you know, <laughs> or like motorcycle Sunday or hot rod Sunday, because that's what the men like. Um, it, it just, it's not, it's not lasting. You know, you might get some people and you might pat yourself on the back and be like, oh, we had all these men show up. Well, were they there the next week? Like, did they do Bible study with their parent, you know, kids well, at home or blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay. yeah. One more thing and then I'm going to shut up. I promise. No. Um, the other thing I found insulting, the belief, at least from what I started reading, because I read a whole lot of men's, men's ministry literature after that, just to say the belief was that men were overwhelmingly less verbal than women, which mm-hmm. maybe statistically that's true. Men, because they had a shorter attention span, you could not expect them to sit through a whole Bible study or sermon, and therefore you had to give them eight-minute chunks. Oh, my gosh. Like they're which, toddlers. Well, I was like, <clears throat> where are the men who were offended by this? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. seriously. Yeah. By the way, Richard Settles, one of our listeners who is not yet on Team Jesus, says he might convert if there's a church with Harleys and machine guns and camo. <laughs> Okay, Amazing. this Sunday, First Lutheran, <laughs> First Lutheran is doing Harleys and, and no, just joking. I don't even First think he Lutheran. lives in Houston, but you okay. know. Um, well, we live stream, so you know, whatever. Um, I will be driving my. I would I, you know come what? to I only, see that. I only have a Vespa. Is that close enough? If I drive my little. Are Vespa you wearing down leather? Down yeah. Oh my gosh! Please, okay, stop. Let's do stop. This. Okay. <laughs> I will. I will say. So first of all, one of the things that I just want to point out, one of the because he does like a lot of like church history kind yeah. of stuff too, and he talks about how like it was common even in the early church for there to be more women than men, mm-hmm. um, and so that's nothing new. And there's this one kind of cool stat where he says, um, for example, a long article at the no, that's not the one I wanted. Are you talking I'm about sorry. like were they dif- like the different tunics that were yes, uh, yes, yes. I um, love that line. Yeah. An interesting anecdote from 303 AD. During a wave of persecution, officials busted up a house church and seized the goods that the Christians had gathered to distribute to the needy. 16 men's tunics and 82 women's tunics. By the way, what makes it a woman's tunic? Isn't it just a piece of cloth that's like has a hole in the top? Like, is it shaped? I mean, what, what, you know? Had like roses and lace. <laughs> okay. Um, sexist. Um, <laughs> since time immemorial, church ladies have been absolutely wiping the floor with men when it comes to pledge drives. Da-da-da. So anyway, hmm. um... 
I thought that was interesting. So let's just say that historically it's been 55 women, 45 men. I don't think that's really the issue. I think the, I think the issue, I mean, I actually do think there's a problem. I'm not like Mark Driscoll, like threat sure. level, you know, sure. DEFCON one or five or whichever one it is. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but, but I do think that, um, that like, there are a lot of churches that I wouldn't go to. All right. Okay. Sure. Because the, the, the preaching is sentimental. It's storytelling, yeah. and it's men, men and yeah. women preachers. I mean, it's not yeah. like it's across the. You know, even last night watching the presidential debate, which we decided not to talk about, but which is good. But um, sometimes, you know, uh, it was one more than the other. You know, when they really want to make a point, and Look they right really into the camera, they, they they really want to know. You know, that they they get this like inflection in their voice. You know, and it's like this false. Like sincerity, and they and it's like they just want to prove how much how sincere they are. Preachers do that kind of crap a lot too. But the problem with that is that it's contrived and manipulative, yeah. and people know when they're being manipulated, and it's then it's frustrating. I don't think yeah. it's because it's masculine or feminine, you know. Because no. yeah, I've listened to her preach and been insanely inspired, and then I've listened to some men preach and right. been like, I think it's an you age know. thing. What I think it's an age thing. Mm. I mean, do you hear younger pastors saying this? I don't know. No, I couldn't say. I couldn't say I listened to enough to, to say. But but I think, but I, I, I let me bring it back to contemporary yeah, yeah. Christian music again, too. <clears throat> oh my because if you open up my hymnal and you, and you, you know, you, you look at a, you know, Lutheran chorale from the, you know, mid 1700s, I mean, it's forceful, it's powerful, mm-hmm. it's bold, it's pro- yeah. pro- proclamatory. I mean, in a lot of contemporary Christian music, it, it just has an emotional ring to it. Because, be, it can't help but to because it is borrowing from pop music, which is designed to evoke emotional reactions. That's what it's for. It's a it's a corporate invention. It it doesn't come from the folk. It doesn't come from the people. It doesn't. I'll push back on that a little bit because yeah. you can have the music that's pulling from contemporary motifs, and you can still have language that's straight from the Bible. You can, or and even they, hymns redone. And I think I think contemporary Christian music has gotten a lot better in that regard. But but I think generally speaking. And again, I do believe in gender differences. So, yeah. you know, if y'all want to argue with me about that, that's fine. But I think women and men are different. And I think the yeah. kind of stereotypes are real and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's a lot of men that they are, they are not going to relate to a lot of contemporary Christian forms, mm-hmm. whether the words are whatever or not. Um, I think at the end of the day, they do need to respect what's going on and what's said in the church. Like it needs to like be interesting. Substance. It needs to yeah, be provocative. Yeah. It yeah. needs to be challenging. Men need to be challenged. They need to be. I think pushed. I'm a man. <laughs> I think that's what I'm learning okay, so from this conversation. The problem is the pro- okay. The problem, and I, I, so I do agree that there there are differences. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to take that that argument. The problem is, um, if you look at how, like for example, in the men's ministry literature, if you look at what's defined by what would appeal to a man. I'm, I would be masculine, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Sarah would be masculine, yeah. which I'm not sure I want to accept the definition then yeah. because I don't think I am fundamentally Yeah, masculine. see, we, we don't, like like at our church, for example, I, I will say that our like ratio is pretty well even right. and we've had a lot of, not a lot, we're a small church, but like a pretty high number of young men yeah. like, like be involved and we have like one in seminary and one hopefully going soon. For a small church, I'm kind of proud of that. Yeah. But like we don't try to be masculine. Right. We just try to tell the truth. And right. I think that mm, truth ultimately appeals to men and women. Right. That's right. Um, but I think that a lot of what drives it is like a concern that the church is dying and so we have to appeal to people and they we, we instantly fall into a marketing slash advertising slash attractional slash seeking mentality and i think it's very subtle and it happens over time and we don't know we, we don't want to offend people we, we we become kind of soft and so i think when yeah. someone like mike what mark driscoll is observing is that the church doesn't say what it needs to say because it's afraid of ticking people off and then disappearing i have two quick thoughts about that before we move on one mm-hmm. is i think there's another sort of sexism that happens in the reverse where churches try to do something for women and they make it it's like we're gonna make vision boards and make muffins <laughs> or which is fine like i don't like vision boards but some people do and that's great but if everything that they're offering for women is that then you have women like me they're like well i want to go talk theology with the boys mm-hmm. i guess i have to find the boys to do that but the other thought is when you were talking about marketing, it made me think of Alpha, which is a ministry to largely unchurched people to kind of dive into big questions. And they have said that all of their marketing, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, is they market everything to a 26-year-old man because they know the net 
Yeah. Well, yeah. they're the hardest yeah. to get, but also then that net will capture everybody else, which they're onto something. They're saying like, let's mm-hmm. tell it in a way that's truthful, provocative, honest, authentic. No, absolutely. So I, so that's the thing about like a lot of the, a lot of the how to of the men's ministry movement, I think was great. And, and mm-hmm. part of that is that if you target with your messaging, a young single man, yeah. you will end up getting everyone else. And that's, yeah, that's just marketing. Like that's fine. That's, that's not, um, can sub- I read substantive? Can I read one quote that? Yeah. It goes, it goes with that, and I didn't give it to y'all. I kept it just for myself. Um, but it's from an article like by a man. Tabidi Anyabwile, who's at Gospel Coalition, who I have very strong disagreements with these days. But he wrote this article in 2010, and I've kept it. And so he is quoting a Justin Taylor article, and it says this. In short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. If a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers, regular and irregular. If a father goes but irregularly to church, regardless of his wife's devotion, between a half and two-thirds of their offspring will find themselves coming to church regularly or occasionally. A non-practicing mother with a regular father will see a minimum of two-thirds of her children ending up at church. In contrast, a non-practicing father with a regular mother will see two-thirds of his children never darken the church door. So the point is that you could have, um, I mean, like me, I grew up, my parents were divorced when I was young. We went to church every single Sunday. I have two brothers, (coughs) more or less, don't go to church. Y'all need to be in church, okay? Um, You know, but so it kind of stuck with me, but that's one third, right? And so, and my dad went, he didn't go as much then, but he goes every week now. And so the bottom line is like your mom can go every single week and do everything for you. But if the father's not involved, the children probably will follow suit of the father, hmm. you know. And if it's reversed, you it know, doesn't flow the same it doesn't way. flow the it's same interesting. way. So what's interesting about that is because I've heard that study before. In fact, I've heard it preached and quoted in so many Father's mm-hmm. Day sermons um, at this that does seem to push back a, 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 a little bit against the argument this person was making in the, in the Christianity Today, because what she was basically saying, he, I don't even, I don't know what Lyman, um, what they were basically saying was dominantly because of just mathematics, it was believing women marrying unbelieving men and then hmm. dragging everyone to church. Well, yeah. like that, that quote about like steely eyed determination to drag everyone <laughs> to church with them. Because um, there is an imbalance in the uh-huh. sexes and it, yeah. like like in society, and so women would have to marry a pagan yeah. because there weren't any Christian men. Which is why there was so much about that. And- we're just like, why so much about in the New Testament? And I mean, I think like the argument is that like that's how the, the church eventually grew is that like it eventually started working. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So I, maybe yeah. that's overblown, but it I, I think that, and this is where, you know, just destroying gender roles to me doesn't help because I think that at the end of the day, like, <clears throat> well, now we're getting into it with like authority in the household and stuff. But if that's true, what that would kind of indicate is that maybe there is this intuitive natural authority that children understand and if the father can tell his wife let's say um you know what screw it i'm not going you you can go to church i'm not going the kids pick up on that and they're like oh he can tell my mom off i can too i think there's i agree with that i also think you could take that off the table and say and again i believe that men and women are different and across the board not everyone but women tend to be more expressive and i think maybe feel and emote well emotions that's what you emote Mm -hmm. And men tend to lead with, they feel the same emotions, but they lead with sort of logic and problem solving. And so if the person that's supposed to be logical says, well, this is nonsense, I don't need this, then I think if you're just paying attention to that, you're like, oh, well, maybe it doesn't make sense for me either. And if the person that tends to be more maybe run by, or at least it's on the outside emotion, says, well, we need to go, then you might think, oh, she just wants to go because it makes her feel good. Mm -hmm. I think there's some assumptions that are made there, even if that's not the case. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe you guys want to push back on that, but. I yeah I I get I get I have difficulty in all these conversations because like if we start going with gender molds I just don't fit right like I don't I often don't either but gender molds but um I I think there's also another way to read it that might play depending on how you you interpret the idea of authority in the household might play into the same thing um I I do think fathers have a different relationship with kids than mothers do. Um, and I think, so there was this, this TED talk floating around social media the other day about a um, woman who was a father's rights divorce attorney. attorney. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples she gave was um, 
every dad is asked this barrage of questions. Who's your child's doctor? Who's your child's teacher? Who's your child's pediatrician? Mm-hmm. Who's your child's child's principal? And most of them can't answer it. Right. Um, but when they ask questions like, what's your child most afraid of? Hmm. Who would your child be if you were a superhero? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your child's biggest strength and More biggest conceptual, weakness? less demographic. Um, th- those, the dads knock it out of the park. And huh. part of what... And so, like, Jordan and I didn't plan anything before we had kids. We're That's our husband. Like, we're just like, we're just going to do this and figure it out. And part of what I, and maybe this is makes us traditional male and female, I do all of that. Like, I do the doctor's appointments. I do the mm-hmm. making sure she does her lessons. I do the, um, all of the get things done. And he is really good at being playmate slash sometimes disciplinarian slash... Um, hey, look at this YouTube video. I mean, he's a dad, right? He's Mm -hmm. really good at that role. And if Annabelle were to look at me and she were to put church in doctor, school, Mm. mom takes care of the administration, church is another administration thing. Mm. Dad is the one who's this more whole life person. And he doesn't think I need, like, if dad also told me I didn't need to go to the doctor, I wouldn't go either, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. I think there might be something going on. Yeah. Uh, I think you might be right. I would also like to see that study repeated because I do wonder if that would change mm-hmm. with time. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty old study and I wonder I wonder what we're well, going to do yeah. today. It's, yeah. That article is from 2010, so. And I'm a single mom, so my kids have to do whatever I say. Yeah. Doctors, churches, all, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, on to Satanism. Ah, oh, great we segue. Said, we said we were going to talk uh, about Satan later, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, because maybe the solution is just not going to church at all, um, or in, or going to the D- Church of Satan. D- do you want me to hit the highlights of this article, or do you want me to? I mean, no. I heard this the other day on a podcast I was listening to, and I thought it was a joke at first. They were like, "Well, this lady, this I guess she's an op-ed writer or something." Decided. No, I think. I th- I'm sorry. To no, go ahead. Oh, I think she's she just submitted a a more or less a something like HuffPo, you know, where. Okay. She just she's kind of an independent writer, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Basically, when she found out that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Unlike the lady that screamed into her phone for all of YouTube to see, Lord have mercy. This lady decided to become a Satanist. And of course, the it's a little bit more dramatic in the title than it is once you read through because it's not the kind of Satanist that we think of with like pentagrams and sacrificing cats mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It's like, be nice to each other. And it means to rebel. But I'm just like so confused about, I mean, I read through the article and I actually listened to it on the podcast as well. But basically she's saying, I think it's a woman, right? That because Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and she's worried about the state of affairs with America, um, that now she's going to be part of a group that's like building up community and like sort of shares her beliefs. But I, why would she not have done that before? Like, why did it take Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying? Were they close friends? I'm well, so confused. Yeah. Well, she she's worried that with with the you know the the tilt of the Supreme Court going this yeah. far, that the the last bastion standing in the way of reproductive rights. Because I mean, let's be honest, this article is about abortion. And and what she saw Ginsburg as being is is the person in the doorway, like keeping the right yeah, of people to abort the their children, which you know. And so, like she says, some some inter- first of all, just to be clear, she didn't join the Church of Satan. She joined satanic a satanic temple. temple. Okay, which is different. Which is, is different. Yeah, is it's kind of like Saul Alinsky de- dedicated rules for radicals to Lucifer. I mean, I don't know if people know that, but yeah. So it's like, and, and people say, well, it's tongue in cheek, and it's not really Satan per se. It's like the idea of uh, the speech, of again re- rebellion. Yeah, yeah. Re- yeah. rebellion. Yeah. She she. I mean, she says the sa- satanic temple uses the devil as a symbol of rebellion. Yeah. Which, first of all, rebellion is satanic because we're to live for God. Um, so it's a fitting name. Yeah, it, it it is. And anyway, but yeah, she talks about how she has this way of saying like, you know, I was struck by how closely they aligned with the unwritten code I had used to guide my own life. And I was like, well, how convenient, you know, it's like <laughs> um, you had devised, in other words, you had devised a code for your life that you felt was right and true. Like how very postmodern of you, you know, for you to determine the parameters around which your moral code, your life is acceptable. And then the Satanists agree with you. So congratulations, you know, but, but for me, it, it's, it's basically like she's, she, what they celebrate is autonomy at the mm-hmm. end of the day, which is ultimately lived out in abortion. Because if you can, this is just me saying this, y'all can disagree, but if you can kill the baby inside your own body, you have ultimate autonomy. Because not only do you have autonomy over your body, you have autonomy over the baby's body, which they disagree that it's a body. And this and, and the, sa- the this satanic temple like has a case from Missouri going to the Supreme Court 
to argue for abortion. This is the hill they die on. This is the most important issue for them is abortion. And, and it's all about autonomy. And so this is theology on air. The opposite of that is is not – Christians do not value autonomy. We do not seek autonomy. We seek dependency upon God. Maybe dependency isn't the perfect word. Submission, surrender. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what repentance is. That's what, you know, seeking to, to follow the will of God is. We, we are not a law unto our, ourselves, you know. And so, anyway, so I think it's very true that that she does possess a spirit of rebellion, which I do think actually is satanic, with a capital S. Um, and I think that is manifest in their uh, their their understanding of abortion. But you so. said something about it being postmodern, which I agree. The sort of like I pick the truths that I want kind of thing, but. It's not. It's nothing new. Like the whole yeah. Bible, when you yeah. read it, is full of this kind sure. of like pagans did it a different way in the Old Testament than we do it now. But this is the same thing. Like this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. The whole book of Judges keeps saying, and they did what was right in their own eyes, right? And then God's mm-hmm. like, okay, we'll see how that works out. Well, and in their defense, I mean, Jesus did it too, right? So did Jesus what too? Was a rebel against the religious oh, okay. authorities. Yeah. And so we we can say because we are Christian, we believe Jesus was in submission to God. Yeah. But the Pharisees would have called him a rebel. Yeah. Right. The religious authorities at the time would have would have called him satanic, and I think they did. They did. Um, I, I think part of what um, so just for the people who have not read the article um, and who don't know about the Temple of Satan, it doesn't actually mean you worship. You don't believe in supernatural at all. It's right. It's like this philosophical. It's very material. Yeah. It's the philosophical rebel. It's it's mm-hmm. it, there's a, a whole lot of you know 18th century philosophers uh, about this, um, and I so so Evan, I agree with a lot of what you said about the role of a Christian, and I think where I. For this article in, spe- in 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 specific, she doesn't claim to be a Christian, right? Right. Oh, right. And so, I yeah, think... I'm judging her by my standard. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and um, you know, because I've listened to you and other things before, I know that you think that living in a society that is free is better for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, she's got her choice to make. I got, and I and I think the difference comes down to, I mean, if, for your fundamental issue, whether you believe. Uh, abortion is choice or whether you believe it's it's the killing of another human being yeah and right um um but i think if 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 she had not put abortion in there if her if the the fear about losing my autonomy like let's say this was written by a a person on the right um who becomes a member of the church of satan because they're afraid about losing their gun rights mm-hmm. um i i and they and they, that was one of their issues, and they had a case working in the Supreme Court right. to you know challenge yeah. Which you could also come back. I mean, honestly, you could quote a whole lot of Jesus against that too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I, so I don't necessarily see. An... So so like so I am like... not saying I endorse the Temple of Satan. But no, 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 no. <laughs> you heard no, it here, but, folks. But, but, you're, but, but there, say, let's just say that there's a reasonable voice for something like libertarianism, yeah. like right. So so like where you have a a really tr- truly radically free society, and so like libertarians on the right, I end up disagreeing with libertarians on the right. Although I'll, I you know, appreciate a lot of their their military views and their taxation views and things like that, but fundamentally they don't have a coherent moral like worldview from my point of view it's more or less hey you do what you do and i'll do what i do i don't i don't believe in that i actually think that we should live for god um because we're made in his image and we are his creatures and and so there are limits to the freedom that that we that we possess um and so really like you know it's the whole thing like the further out you go right or to the left you know it's kind of a circle and they kind of come back they like they kind of look you know it's like really what's the difference between really between a fascist and a communist i mean it's not that big a deal you know they're both totalitarian they they have slightly different ways of going about it but um i mean so it it could be the case that if it if abortion wasn't the main issue that she understood this like need for autonomy you know that maybe i could find some points of agreement that that could be but I think it's very telling that that is the issue, um, because at the end of the day, there is nothing so threatening to full autonomy as restricting abortion, mm. right? I mean, like, that's why it is so urgently fought for on the left. Um, that's why it is so divisive. That's why, um, you know, I mean, that's why we have such stark, you know, difference, I think, between right and left, because that issue has just become so central, so important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she uses this word. Um, she said the Supreme Court was unwilling to provide adequate protection for a woman's right to choose. But that word protection is interesting because if 
if it was anything else about a woman's body, if say the Supreme Court said that women had to cut off their left pinky toe or something, I would be freaking out too because it's a slippery slope. You start saying that the the government can do something to me, right? <laughs> You're laughing at my pinky toe. Uh, well, that, that that's the slippery slope. I think that's pretty. Okay, bad. that's not a. Like... That's not. We're <laughs> yeah. on the full slope at that point. But the point is, if the government Maybe they can tell you how long your fingernail should be. Okay, sure. But and yeah, anything where they're actually controlling my body. Yeah. But that's the question is, is it my body? And maybe we don't want to get into this, but that's really what the question comes down to. It's not about me and my body. It happens to be growing in my body, but it's its own separate life made by God, I mm-hmm. believe. And so that's why Christians use, um, not all Christians, this is why conservatives use the term murder, right? So I think if we're talking, I think there, there's kind of two lenses to talk about this. And I think this does make a difference that it was written by someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian and is talking yeah. within the civic I mean, we're going to behave differently to get along with people who share a country with us yeah. um, than we are going. We're not going to hold everyone to the standards of turn the other cheek and mm-hmm. and love your enemy and whatnot. Um, and, and I do think that 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 makes it different. And if we're speaking purely politically, part of the issue is not it, it's, it's the question of do you consider it a life or not? It's also the question of there is no because of biology, there's no way to equally enforce standards here unless you go with um um much harder harsher restrictions on male fatherhood uh, or something right like if you sire a child you you know child support whatever yeah Yeah. um you're saying the woman is sort of like she can't get out of the situation mm -hmm, like because she's having the child and but the man can sort of walk away which is equally immoral all right well and and not just like the experience biologically the experience of I'm still trying to lose the baby weight, and I was lucky, you know. Same. Like, the experience of having a child changes your body for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and there's no way to kind of equally enforce this on on the male side. Um, and I and that paired with the minute, nuanced decision making that sometimes has to get done in hospitals about sure. whether or not it is actually life threatening. Like once you get laws involved, um, my father was on the. Um, Ethics Board of Medical Hospital, um, and hmm. and he he taught and he's he's pro life. Um, he talked through very very strongly about how hard it was to write those mm-hmm. policies. I can imagine. Um, I mean, I can't imagine because even if you're pro life, coming down to what counts and what doesn't, and when you get a senator who frankly doesn't know what they're talking about because they've never been in a operating room before, yeah, it just be, it takes on a whole another level of difficulty. For sure. Oh, I think everybody can agree that when you start getting into the who's life and save the mom, but can you save the baby? And um, but that's that's, that's ninety. That's one or two or three percent of abortions. But most, most are elective. And yeah. I will push back a little bit on. I agree with you that we don't hold non Christians to the same standards. We don't re- sort of require. Not that we require anything of anybody, but we don't expect non Christians to say love your enemy or something like that. But when you get down to this, if you think it's murder. We've kind of all signed on sure, sure. to I the, mean, like, don't murder. The fundamental question is, is it murder? Like, that's right. the fundamental question. Yeah. Um, I also think it shows the desperation that people, like, the way that we've made politics our God. <gasps> One justice dies, and this is the action you take? Like, 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 chill. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, maybe Amy Comey Barrett will be fine. Like, you don't know. Like, maybe maybe Biden will win and Clarence Thomas will die next year, okay? Like, it all comes, you know. Oh, but it's like, but it's almost <laughs> like, <gasps> You know, like the utter panic because one justice dies and stuff. But if if, if I were to just go nuclear on this too, <clears throat> um, what See, it, that's what we need more. Of that's what the yeah. fans need. That's exactly. what they want. Well, no, Give them what but they want. but I think that I mean I and I I know I've said this before, but if you if you look at the arguments I think for abortion and the arguments for slavery, they're very similar. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's basically an argument that like in in the case of slavery, it was one human being owned another human being as property, which the Supreme Court agreed with, by the way, before they disagreed. Um, And what people are saying is that uh, a mother owns, in effect, the baby almost like property. She can Mm. do with it what she wants. It doesn't have autonomous rights of its own. Mm. She is fully, and the father too, for that matter, if he's in favor of the abortion, but they are fully autonomous over the life of that person. And so if we substituted everything she said for slavery, we'd all be, oh, of course not. That's not the kind of libertarianism we're talking about. That's not the kind of freedom we're talking about. We think that there should be moral limits to what one person can do to another person. The difference is we agree with that on slavery. We don't on the unborn. That's and, interesting. And so um, that's that's to me where it's it's we're not we're not consistent on that issue. Um, you know the, the question the question is what is a human being? I mean that's we 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 did not believe that slaves were human beings. 
And then we came to hold that they were human beings. Right. And so you have the 14th Amendment, like right. equal protection under the law. Well, why don't we think the unborn have equal protection under the law? Why don't we think they're human beings? Tell me the philosophical or legal or medical rationale for them not being human beings. When does that – you don't have to answer that. But I'm just <laughs> well, saying yeah. I have never heard a coherent argument from – pro-choice, whatever side you want to say, about when life begins and when a human has rights. I've, it, some say birth. Some say when the umbilical cord is cut after birth. Some say first breath, even though they're breathing in the womb, uh, just not through their lungs. Uh, some say brain activity. Some say ability to feel pain. Some say first trimester. Some say, you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, yeah. well, like, like you have to, like, there has to be an answer that we can all agree to, like right. when it's a life, when it begins, when it's a human being, when it has rights. If we can't even agree on that, then why don't we default to the most obvious place? Which is conception. Sorry. Did you want to say anything in response? I, I, I have not read up on my <laughs> stuff recently. That's funny that, that we both have things that we can just rattle off in minds like women in church. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And so well, I, I'm sure this will come up again in I, future episodes. Yeah, so. I, d I do think... Um, so I do think the primary issue is... Um, when does human life start? Mm -hmm. um, I also want to, yeah, I I, I want to say even even if it, like if we granted the whole pro life thing, there's a whole lot we could do policy wise just to decrease abortions rather than oh for sure make them illegal. Yeah, it's not so simple. Make them legal, uh, problem I solved. I also want to yeah. say I think there is. So I did read an argument about um, um, the state cannot force you to donate a kidney to your brother-in-law who's dying and mm -hmm. who, who would live with your kidney. Can the state force you to donate your ovaries to this hmm. human being who will die without your support? Interesting. I never thought about that. I, I never thought if I understand the metaphor correctly, you didn't give your brother-in-law kidney disease. But you participated in the making of the baby. So I, I mean, but a... it, does that matter? Yeah, I think there's a, some kind of responsibility that has to fall somewhere. Well, but that I think that's I think that comes down to a question, a legal question, as much as, um, as much as the question of when does human life start. I'm gonna have to noodle on that. I just I know I woke up in an ice bath this morning and my side really hurts. <laughs> oh my gosh! Just kind of kind of nervous. You're about looking that. great considering. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we wanted to say about an hour, so we, I don't know how, how long you guys we got, uh, like, want to go. Fifteen minutes left. Oh, okay. I accidentally didn't click this until we were fifteen minutes in, so it's oh. slightly less than accurate. Oh well, no, I think you know whatever. We don't have to stay to the hour time frame anyway. You know. All night long. But speaking, nope. speak, speak, <laughs> I gotta get home. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Ginsburg and her presumptive replacement, um, Coney Barrett. Amy. Amy Coney Barrett. Coney Barrett. Can I just say ACB? Sure. Okay. I don't think that's any easier. We said we said because RGB. you're so used to A B C that it doesn't I know, flow. I know. I don't know. A C B, <laughs> easy as one, three, two. Oh yeah. No, wait. Oh, so it doesn't rhyme now. Crap. Okay. No, All right. Oh my gosh, we're such nerds. But y'all may know that she is a white woman. You you may know this. Yes. You may have heard. She's <laughs> a Roman Catholic, part of a controversial yeah. group. By the way, I don't. This is I we I didn't tell you. I was going to tell you this very quickly. In the 70s, like late 60s, 70s, there were three major charismatic centers in America. Centers? Centers. Centers. Sorry. That makes much there, more sense. There was many, many <laughs> charismatic centers. I mean, but, really all of them, turns out. The but place. one of them was in Houston. It was at a church called Church of the Redeemer. It was an Episcopal church, which is kind of unusual because they had this like high liturgy, but huh. it was charismatic. Spoken yeah. tongues. They had like 2,000 people there every Sunday. It's right by my house. Um, and uh, interesting kind of concrete architecture and a mural, like a, literally a socialist Jesus mural where he's like floating and you have like the worker out in the field with their pick, you know, like their, uh, what do you call that? Pitchforks and stuff. Uh, it, it's interesting. So he's the proletariat in that Yeah, situation. yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but but the Houston and Notre Dame area, South Bend, was another one. I don't remember what the third one, like Boston or something. But I think she's a part of that community. It survived there. It died here. Yeah, people um, are praised. Yeah, people are praised. It became, here, it became... It had a lot of scandal. Um, homosexuality came into the church, and eventually it, it, you know, that and other sexual sins kind of killed the church. But for a while, they were a communitarian. I, I'll, I won't talk about that more, but I think that's interesting that this, I think this this particular movement has legs. Okay. but Wait, So when you say a charismatic, there's charismatic churches all over the place. So what's the distinction you're making that, that you there, would say? There, these, are, like, there are a handful of really, really big places where, like, there was general consensus agreement, like the spirit was very active in these places. 
Okay. Um, and like thousands of people were showing up and people like were showing Bethel? up. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's interesting about the one in Houston is that they had a definitive moment where they said the they knew the spirit had left. Just kind of, I've never heard Doesn't that. Doesn't he live in our hearts? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But anyway, so, okay. So she is mother to seven, including two black children. Yep. Uh, that were adopted from Haiti. From Haiti. And uh, some people <clears throat> have said, so a, a very controversial tweet came out by Ibram Kendi. Mm-hmm. So, and you might want to explain who that is. Um, he yeah. said, he said this, some white colonizers, quote unquote, adopted black children. They, quote, civilize these, quote, savage children in their, quote, superior ways of white people while using them as props in their lifelong pictures of denial while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. Kendi. Let me pause you there for yeah. a second. A couple of things. So Ibram Kendi is best-selling author. He wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist and does talks and writes books and all these things about being anti-racist. And he's, I mean, he's controversial, but a bunch of people like him. But the interesting thing about this tweet is if you look this tweet up now, um, it doesn't have, well, he's responding to something here. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but a woman named Jenny uh, Beth Martin had put a picture of Amy Coney Barrett and a couple of her kids and said, with two adopted children from Haiti, it's going to be interesting to watch the Democrats try to smear Amy Coney Barrett as racist. So the, she's making the case for like, she yeah. can't be racist because she has these black children, yeah. which is probably an awkward way to put it, right? Like, yeah. that's like that's me being like, I argument. dated a black guy once, so. Right, right. Yeah, it's, kind of like friend yeah i have, yeah. I have yeah. lots of black friends yeah actually my uh, little nephew is black and i he's wonderful but that doesn't yeah so maybe misguided but that all of this is in response to that but if you go back on twitter now that's unavailable because then later he comes back and says somewhere he says like this oh and whether this is barrett or not is not the point yeah right. but it kind of was the point at the beginning i mean it, yeah. he's making a broader uh he's saying a broader message but yeah this is uh, well, part of, part of it is like the whole way we like confirm justices is kind of sick because we, you know, maybe I shouldn't say sick, but we're, we're, we're basically the other side is always looking for something to nail that justice on so that they can be disqualified. Yeah. And so I think that in this day and age, she's a woman. So that, I mean, even I was like, oh, okay, good. If he's going to nominate a woman and I actually want an originalist on the court, I'm like, shouldn't be a sex scandal. You know, like shouldn't be a Kavanaugh uh, debacle. Women can't have sex scandals? I'm, I shouldn't, shouldn't, you know. Well, well, there are different, well, there are different kinds, like. Kamala Harris <clears throat> had, you know, relations with like the mayor of San Francisco, like at the beginning of her political career. We overlook that, right? I, it's weird, but so you were glad she was a woman, right? Because that just takes that, like, like she didn't rape anybody. Okay, so that kind of takes that off the table. And so then the question is, well, could she be a racist? Because yeah. you yeah, know, that's yeah. the thing. That's the issue of the day. So it's like, so this woman is 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 trying to put it out. Well, of course she can't be a racist. She has two black kids. And I, I mean, I get it. Like racism could be bigger than your adopting kids. Maybe these kids are a way to hide her true racism. But well, and and the community of people that, and I know I'm going to get pushed back on this. So come at me, Ibram Kendi, Robin D'Angelo, the people that are writing some of these books right now that are part of kind of the critical race theory camp. The, the party line is that if you're white in America, you're part of the racist system. And so in some sense, you mm-hmm. are racist. It doesn't mean that you're acting racist, right. doing racist right. things. But because racism is more than, than, more uh, than just your own discrimination right. of somebody else. Yeah. yeah. And so in that sense, I think Abram Kendi, if, if pushed into a corner, would say, if you're white, you are racist. Mm-hmm. But you can also be an anti-racist. That's the thing that you want, right? Um, so I don't. I think no matter wh- whether she had black children or not, she is going to be racist, mm-hmm. according to this kind of schema. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think, um, so I was glad he came back and said that this was not necessarily about Amy Conan Bryant personally, because I I do think that there can be a large, so if you look at the, the movement today, um, they name, um, white people adopting black children as something that can be done well, but it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really, really hard to be done well. Um, and, and I think they have, they have some fair points. Um, I think, uh, um, he talks about it historically, which obviously we all agree that historically like white colonizers literally kidnapping children away Mm -hmm. from their parents and civilizing, like, obviously at this point in history, we all agree that was terrible. Um, I think even today, you run so Sarah and I previewed this conversation beforehand, so we can just go into it now. Yeah. Uh, I think I think when you're looking at ethical ethical issues, you have a different issue if you're looking at it from an individual versus if you're looking at it top down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually read an article once where it was it was talking about the way language was used um, in 
uh, and keeping invasive animals under control. And so they said if they want to create sympathy, they'll talk about the hogs as individual creatures who are running through their life, running for their life from the scary guns. If they want to uh, make the argument for the case, they talk about the hog population has destroyed this many native plants, and therefore Mm. uh, we need to keep it down in order that this may... And so it's the the individual look versus the big picture look. With the adoption um, across especially cultural... I mean, we can talk about whether like race, but but like especially across yeah. cultural lines, um, individually, you look at an individual child who needs a home and an individual family who wants to give a home, and everyone's like, why shouldn't that happen? The bigger picture, though, shows a few more problems with that being done all the way over, over and over again, over again, especially when it happens the opposite way. Um, <laughs> there are tons of social problems. So there was a, there was an article written by a woman who was black who adopted white children. Mm-hmm. And she said, I have to carry my ID with me. Oh my goodness. I yeah. Because mm. I have to prove yeah. that I didn't, I didn't kidnap the I child or something. These wow. children. Yeah. yeah. Which the fact that like that in and of itself, yeah. um, I think, I think shows that there are just problems that exist on a global level with that. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, I think Ibram Kendi and some of the others in, in that, group would say that white people should be adopting white people and black people should be adopting black people. And it also goes into transracial marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how that's less racist. I get the white savior thing. And there's, I mean, I think there's in any one of these individual situations, there's sort of like a check your heart kind of situation. Are you trying to be a white savior? Do you like explore that? And all of my friends that have adopted children that are a different race have kind of gone through that process. Like right. I'm going to read the books. I'm going to talk to some people. Am I doing the right thing? Is this okay? Um, but is that the answer? Like we, all of these, you know, I mean, right. there are in lots words, of black babies would, in orphanages that would, are not. Would, yeah. Would it be better not to adopt the child than to deal with the fact that it might be hard for a black child to be raised in a white environment or vice versa? Like, isn't it better that the child be adopted and loved and cared I for? say yes. I mean, that's right. kind of the argument for like same sex couples adopting too, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, people, yep will say, well, it's better that the child is adopted and put into a loving family rather, you know. And yeah. I think what they would say is, is it's best to change the system so that there aren't so many black children yeah. up for adoption and needing homes, right? Yeah. Which is a long, long game answer. But I think that's what, yeah. that's what they would say. And in the meantime, like, how do you, how do you take care of the children in the meantime? I thought it was fascinating that Critical race theory did come up in the debate last night, and it was named. I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. If I, th- I think it's pretty amazing if you stop and think about it, that it has reached that level where at a presidential debate, we're talking about... Well, he signed the executive order, like, yeah. banning it. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that that it's become now part of our, like, like parlance, our political conversation. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a philosophical idea that has made its way to the very tops of our society. I think that's really interesting because mm-hmm. usually they don't, like, talk about philosophy or care about But they didn't really but... talk about it because well, then no, when he rephrased be... it, he called it racial sensitivity. Right. And I was which, like, which, was, which, which you don't understand critical race theory no. if you think it's racial sensitivity. I will also say, so I, I, I was introduced to a whole lot of these things when I was in graduate school, right? When mm-hmm. I was in seminary. And the nuance with which it is talked about in academia does not trickle down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, no. right. That's true. <laughs> all of these ideas, all and especially you know you, the different theologies, the you know liberation theology, like all of these ideas are held in academic circles with a level of nuance and a whole lot of gray and a whole lot of well, mm-hmm. we have to say this and this and this and this and this. Um, that when you trickle down to the the, the bumper stickers, or you trickle down to Twitter, yeah. or you trickle, 140 characters, right? I mean, like everything's a blowtorch, everything's a sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. You don't capture the complexity of the comment, and I feel like that's the same thing we're getting into with. Um, so that so like the the headline white families should adopt black children, like makes a great headline, but the nuance of the conversation actually does raise some legitimate points that just don't come across in unimportant mm-hmm. Sure. But I don't think they're anything new. Like it's, it's not like people that have, I mean, I, again, this is not just everyone Sarah knows counts as what exists in the world, but I, I feel like this is something that is already being thought of. Books are being written about it. You're meeting with various organizations to make sure that there's not some, something nefarious going on. So and and there's so many of these, like, really condescending quotes in this tweet when he says, well, this part isn't in quotes, but he says, while using them as props in their lifelong pictures, that's the most expensive prop. Like, mm. uh, a very good friend of mine adopted a little boy from Uganda, and they ended up getting sort of stuck in Uganda because the process got belabored. They were there for months on end, um, spending tens of thousands of dollars, like, 
this is not just to have a prop in their cover photo on Facebook. And and by the way, um, you know that we use we as in Americans used to adopt Russian babies. Uh, yes, by, by the by the millions or whatever, rather right the thousands. Um, and they've cut that off. Russia. <laughs> Sorry, has that punished made me think us. of the debate. Millions, uh, yeah, I mean thousands. Yeah. Russia has punished us. They don't allow us to adopt their babies mm-hmm. anymore because some abuse were abusing Russian children. But we adopt Chinese babies who are unwanted, and they have the two-child policy. So what do they do with the third, or back when it was the one-child policy, the second? And so, like, this is nothing new. Like, Americans have adopted the world's children regardless of color. And, uh, you know, it, it, why should we make this a race issue? Russians oh, it's a, are just that's as, a great point because you know. it's a class. I mean, a lot of times it has to do more of the class and a money issue. Oh, absolutely. Like the yeah. friend that I was saying that has a little boy from Uganda, uh, they tried to adopt a little girl. And the situation was that the parents did want the little girl, but they couldn't provide for her. Mm-hmm. And of course, then you get, I mean, in that story, she ended up getting sent to like this witch doctor who did these terrible things like cutting and burning. And the, the little girl finally ended up in an orphanage. Um, but the parents didn't send her there because they hated her. They sent her there because they couldn't provide for her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really the question has to do with people that have money and want to open up their home to somebody else mm-hmm. and people that don't. Yeah. We should definitely be talking about class, not race, when it comes to this kind of thing. Last word, and then I want to hear about whether the Methodist logo should change because that has yeah, come up recently. We should finish yep. after yeah, that one. After yeah, after that, we're done. Did you have a last word on that? No. Oh, okay. Okay, so. <laughs> I've said lots of words so far. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I have too. Sarah, you have to talk more. Um done okay the it has it has come to the attention of some this was new to me but not to meredith as a methodist pastor yep. uh that the the it's it's known as the united methodist church as the cross and flame that is their logo it, you can see it here right here yeah it's the ubiquitous uh black cross with a flame going around the side two red flames two red oh it's yep. two red yep. flames oh okay um <laughs> and so basically uh some in this case reverend edlin Cowley, who is pastor at fellowship united methodist church near dallas who is black he is reminded that it looks like a burning cross. It yep. never dawned on me yep. that the symbol of the KKK, this burning cross, was like, uh, you know, like the same thing as the logo for the Methodist Church. But because apparently now that it's been said, it's like, that's all I'll not, ever see. Well, and also because you're not black. Because <laughs> I'm not black. Right, right. right. So um, so what do you think, Meredith? Yeah, okay, uh, so have you, should, the, should the logo change? <clears throat> um, I can see, I can see both points of view. I, so I do have, I grew up Methodist. I love the Methodist church. I love the Wesleys. I have a sentimental relationship with that logo. I'm doing this because my confirmation cross was Mm. a a little Mm. Methodist Mm. cross and flame. And it was given to me, um, when I got confirmed, it never had any overtones for me. However, I was also a pastor in East Texas. Um, and the number of times I had to have the conversation about like, no, we don't have a burning cross on our church, right? Like the number of times I had that conversation made me understand that it's not just someone's made up problem, right? Like yeah. this is people. So people really do people associate. Okay. Look at it, especially people who are in areas with um, historic clan activity. Mm-hmm. They look at it and they they say, "Oh, that's a clan church. That's where all the clan members." Wow. Are. Uh, which no, that's not that's not yeah. like if if it takes me sacrificing my sentimental attachment to a logo to um, make it visibly apparent that I am not that we are not um, the church that is trying to be hospitable toward racist activity. Like if it, I, I'm I'm willing to sacrifice that. What are the flames? Okay, so I actually was like, I think the Presbyterians yeah. have flames too. PCA. This is the PCUSA. PCA. Is this what, PCUSA? I just, this is PCUSA. So it's the biggest okay. Presbyterian. I don't know if you can see that. But anyway, it's like a man and a cross and a dove. They're getting a lot into Yours this logo, but either way. See, ours is just the cross and flame. Cross it's and flame, which is flame. more associated so it, with clan it really activity. does look more like a burning So cross. what are the flames supposed to be? It's Holy Spirit. Cost. Yeah. It's yeah. It's the, the sacrifice and the, the sacrifice of, like, so the resurrection, the empty cross. Yeah. With the flames of Pentecost. Coming yeah. Coming into a light of the church. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's one of those, like, you can have a beautiful symbol, but then someone comes and sees something else and you're like, oh, yeah, I will say when I was little and I would see the Methodist logo and the Presbyterian logo, I was confused. Mm-hmm. Like, cause the first thing that someone thinks about when you see fire is not the Holy Spirit. You have to have been in some church and mm-hmm. read through acts right. and had yeah. someone explain yeah. to you pentecost and the tongues of fire and fire is kind of destructive so yeah yeah like yeah i mean actually now that you mention it like it's it's not a good symbol it's, like it's not yeah, great. i mean like you know, like <laughs> like i don't i've never thought of fire when i thought of the spirit i guess I don't yeah know. you think of wind and yeah no. wind i mean pentecost yeah but yeah yeah like there were 
were tons of fun. Our our red days are always Holy Spirit days, so yeah. Reformation Sunday and Pentecost and Martyr days. Mm. Uh, they're always red. I don't know. Anyway, and the flame is a symbol there. So yeah, I guess. But yeah, so um, so maybe now, as you said earlier, like the United Methodist Church may not exist much longer. So will anyone keep the logo? That's kind of the thing. Or maybe it'll they're be a time to just. About that. That's part of the deliberations. That they're, they're oh my goodness! Who keeps the name? Who keeps the logo? And um, yeah, there's. There's a lot. It's yeah. funny. I find myself, I mean, I generally find myself on the side of these arguments about should we change this name? Should we change this logo? To being like, oh, can we just call them the Dixie Chicks? Why do we have to call them the Chicks? But in this case, I'm kind of for it because, I kind of because you said there are so many people that they see that first. And because it's not crystal clear from the beginning what it is yes. meant to be. It's not like, come on, we all know. It's, it doesn't have that. Well, and I do think it's, it's very geographically oriented. So if you are not, like, I, I don't think... Ugandans or people in the Philippines look at that and see clan activity. But if mm-hmm. you're in the South, if you're in the South, mm-hmm. and if you're especially y'all, clan members were church leaders. Oh, yeah. Right? This Absolutely. is a part of our heritage. Mm-hmm. This is a part of things that we've not fully repented of is this acknowledgement that um, we we made a hospitable space for like the worst, most violent racists of history. Um, and, and especially when in areas where that history history has not been fully acknowledged and repented of, um, it just, it just looks like we're still the clan church. Yeah. So we all agree. Let's change the logo. We all agree. We'll come change up with logo. something and let you right. know, but yeah. I think that we probably need to close this out. Yep. If you have any, um, news items or articles you think we should talk about in the next one of these, mm-hmm. send them on over. Um, keep listening to our podcast and until we see each other again uh, we encourage you as always to question freely think deeply and disagree as needed 